Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. What a beautiful day. Looking out my window from my studio in Fort Collins. It is just gorgeous out there. Temperatures are just going to be perfect the next few days. Um, they're going to be a little warm Monday and Tuesday, but the nights are so cool. And the, the high temperature, we only get to it for a very short period of time during the day. So the air is cooling down. The water is cooling down. The fish are starting to move. The animals are moving. The leaves are turning. In fact, we're going to talk about all of that today. Uh, a lot of fishing we're going to talk about because it is on fire. We're also going to talk about some good hunting activity and some great tips for where you are, depending on what type of hunting you're doing. And we might even touch on some just wildlife viewing and leaf watching. It's uh, it's a great time of the year to be outdoors in Colorado. Also want to reflect a little bit on uh, the hunter that got injured by the moose. Uh, moose to me are the most dangerous animal in Colorado and people don't perceive them that way. And boy, do you have to be careful around moose. You can get hurt pretty bad. There's been several moose attacks in Colorado this year. Right now, let's go to the phones and joining, at one, joining us, one of our favorite authors, Kirk Dieter. Good morning, Kirk. Hi, Terry. How are you? I'm doing great. And, uh, this time of the year, sometimes it's hard to decide what to do outdoors. There's so many things, but I think I know what you've probably been spending your time doing, especially knowing what's going on. And you've probably been on the water. I have been. I've been fishing. I've kind of gotten to the point where, uh, you know, I almost think fishing season starts now. I mean, of course, we've been fishing all summer, but it gets it goes from good to great to awesome this time of year. So, yeah, I've been out on the, on the river, and I've been out fly fishing mostly. And, you know, this time of the year and all types of fishing, when the water cools, it's so different than when you get a cold front in the spring where it can affect fishing differently. As the water cools, these fish realize the seasons are changing. The browns and the brook trout get ready to spawn. The rainbows want to fatten up and they're, cha- they're eating the eggs from the browns. The kokanee are moving. And in the lakes, the, the bait are getting more lethargic. The pet predator fish are taking advantage of that. And along with that, you've got people who are, their kids are back in sports. They're traveling again. They're watching sports themselves on TV. They have other activities. And a lot of the avid anglers are avid hunters. So they've put the fishing rod away and they've picked up their firearm or their bow. And you can have some of the, as you said, the best fishing of the year. And a lot of times have the water almost to yourself, right? That's right. In fact, I was out just two days ago and I did just that. I went to a, a place that usually you see a dozen cars or so, and I was the only one there. It was a rainy day, but that was great because that made the bugs hatch. And that's another thing about the fall. That there's, there's so many different types of bugs that the, the trout eat specifically. You know, you can be hopper fishing one minute and then throw on mahogany guns or a caddisfly. I mean, you just got to be on your toes. There's a lot, a lot of options now. So what are some of the observations? You're going to a river. Let's say some of the rivers you're fishing up in the steamboat area. I know you're up in that area quite a bit. How do you approach rivers this time of the year? What do you look for? And then what kind of tactics do you use? Well, you know, it's a great question. And, and uh, 
the, the number one thing, to be honest with you, that I've started to do more and more, especially this time of year, is take the first 10 minutes that I'm there and watch the river. Watch and see if I see some rises. See if I can spot some fish. If I can spot fish, where are they holding? What are they doing? That type of thing. And, and if you take that 10 minutes and then rig on your fly and then get after it, um, I, I, you just jump right into the game that way a little bit better, I think. So I, I'm really a, a fa- in favor this time of year, slowing down, watching, you know, there's no race, and make the most out of what you see. And, and then you're looking for splat, like a splashy rise tells me that's a caddis fly, right? A little sip might tell me they're eating a midge or a small mayfly. Uh, a big swirling splash, you might not see it, but you might, you know, maybe they're chasing something bigger like a, a hopper or a streamer or something like that, some other bait fish, you know. So lots that lots of you, your eyes can tell you before you actually jump in the river and start fishing. You know, that's such a great point because I'll tell you, a, a habit I used to have that I've tried to break, and I used to rig my rod up immediately before going to the river so I was all ready to make a cast. Well, then if I got there and did some watching and things were different than I thought, that inherent laziness would set in and I'd say, well, I'll try this a few times before I change, even though I know it's probably not right. And you can completely mess up your fishing. (laughs) That's right. I think that's the number one mistake anglers make in any any type of angler. But if you try to impose your will on the fish, you know, by golly, they're going to eat it. This this time I cast it, you know, cast a hundred times the same fly. Uh, you're only cutting your own, your, your own chances down every time you do that. So if you let the fish dictate the game and then you play it well, your odds go up. And I think that that's more rewarding anyway. What are some of the waters you've been fishing or that you're intending to fish in the next few weeks? And what have you heard what's going on specifically in some of those rivers? I've been on some lakes lately, believe it or not, so like Summit Lake and others up high around the steamboat area, and this, the window for that is going to close very soon with the snow uh, that's coming. And in fact, we saw some dusting on the tops of the mountains not too long ago, the last couple of days. So uh, that's, you know, get that in while you can, but there's a lot, still a lot going on that way. Been fishing the Yampa up high, been fishing uh, down on the Colorado, I think. I think uh, that's just my area, but uh, I pretty, I've heard that pretty much everything is, is going right now. And as you get a cloudy, um, rainy, drizzly day, now is the time when the, the booing olive hatches on places like the South Platte and the Blue can go crazy. Oh, yeah, I think we're going to see great fall fishing everywhere. And the rivers you're looking at, are the browns actually in the spawn? Are they getting ready to spawn, getting fired up? I'm seeing them move now. I'm not seeing the, I don't see any on beds now. And, and it's important. You raise a good point there that, you know, once they do start spawning, we want to leave them alone, right? We don't want to, we want, we want those fish to make more little fish for next year. So if we, if we are careful about not fishing on reds or around reds, I think that's important. You know, another thing about this time of the year, both the brookies and the browns are spawning. You mentioned some of the high, High mountain lakes, a lot of those have brook trout in them. They have cutthroats in some of them, too. And, of course, they have rainbows and browns. But uh, brook trout and then a lot of the, even the beaver dam areas, like around uh, Eagle, Colorado and things, there's a ton of brook trout and up on the flat tops. The colors this time of the year of a brook trout and, and a brown trout 
are so phenomenal. You know, somebody once told me when I was doing television <clears throat> that if I hear you describe the beautiful colors of a fish, I know it's because you caught a little fish, she said. And but the truth, the the truth is, I found myself saying it anyway on TV because I'd catch a fall brook trout or a fall brown in full colors, and I don't know that a human being could paint anything as beautiful as those fish. I couldn't agree with you more, and I think if we take more time and appreciate all the beauty around us, I, I sat on a rock on Thursday and watched an eagle preening in the tree above me for a good half hour. And I was like, wow, we're, you know, we're really lucky to be able to experience stuff, stuff like this. And, you know, to me, the tub is great. The, the feeling of the, of the, the fish fighting and the, watching them eat and all that stuff. But taking time to look around is really important, especially this time of year. I think the brook trout end up being an underutilized resource because people think of them as being tiny little fish, and they can be. But we have some nice-sized brook trout in this state, too, both in lakes and rivers. But even if they're a little on the diminutive side, they're just us. They're the nature. When I'm, like, at Rocky Mountain National Park or up on the flat tops or the Grand Mesa and I'm catching brook trout, in a very kind of a semi secluded area, maybe, or an area where there aren't a lot of people around, and they're not big fish, but I'm just casting small flies with a really light fly rod. To me, and I'm a person who does all types of fishing, that's kind of the essence of fly fishing. It really brings it home to me. It is, and though brook trout are not native to our state, um, you know, if if you have a place where you you have regulations that allow you to keep them. It tastes really good, too. I mean, it's like nothing like breakfast with brook trout on a frying pan. You know what I mean? So after camping out this time of year, that's what I like to do as well. Well, and they're so prolific that in most places you're not going not gonna to hurt them. Obviously, if you get some big ones, let those go. Keep those genetics in the water. But you're right. You can catch, you know, a handful of 8 to 10-inch brook trout, and you got a heck of a meal, and you're probably not doing any damage to the population at all. Let's talk a little bit about some of your books now, too. You've got um, a couple of books out there that I'm really familiar with and another one that's coming out. First of all, let's talk about the very first book, The Little uh, Red fly, Book of Fly Fishing. Tell us about that. Is it still available? And then the follow-up book. Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about this, Terry. I, I Little Red Book, as you know, was co-authored with um, Charlie Myers, who was a mentor and friend to both of us. He was the, the late, great uh, outdoors editor at Denver Post. And uh, that book has been out for almost you know, well, 12 years now. And it's like the little engine that could. It just keeps going. And, and uh, we've sold over 100,000 copies of that book. And that's, the basic idea is, look, rock, fly fishing is not rocket science. It doesn't have to be. There's a lot of people who made a lot of money explaining how difficult this is. And we just try to think, what are simple tips that get people in the water and having fun? And, and we were able to take our notebooks and open them up and, and put those down, put some of those thoughts down, and it was well-received, and that's that. And so now we've come out with a sequel, which is the little black book of fly fishing, and that's black as in black diamond, a little bit more expert tips. And I wrote that in partnership with my friend Chris Hunt. And Chris was also... Uh, someone who was mentored by Charlie Myers. And in fact, Charlie introduced Chris and I to each other. And it was only right that when it was time to write a sequel to that book, uh, I would work on it with Chris Hunt. 
And that book is a little more advanced than the little red book. A little bit. Yeah, there's some there's still some pretty simple tips in there. Now, the idea with both of those books was to offer people an opportunity to maybe you learn something, maybe you reminded of something, maybe you slow stuff like we were talking about earlier. So slow down, watch the river. I mean, that's not really a novel thought, but sometimes you need to have it pop back into your head before you go fishing and just go, okay, well, that's going to help me out today. So, you know, none of the chapters in the book are any longer than several paragraphs long. So uh, it's all meant to be easily digested and at your fingertips at all times. So some people even take them fishing with them. Some people like to, you know, read them before they fish and, and some people, you know, leave them in the truck or whatever, but uh, it's, it's just meant to be there to like your buddy whispering tips in your ear. They're really not the kind of book that you would read from cover to cover. You're going to pick it up and read parts of it and go, oh, yeah, and pick up, read another part. Oh, yeah, that kind of book. You're working on a new book also. Tell us a, real briefly about that. Well, I, you know, I started fishing. In, I grew up in the Midwest in, in Wisconsin and Michigan, and uh, brown trout have been a fish that have literally led me to all points of the world now. But, but I learned to fish on the Baldwin River in Michigan where the first brown trout was introduced in 1884. And for better or worse, you know, that fish has been iconic and part of part of the fishing culture that's now worldwide. And uh, like I said, it's led me to places like Chile and Argentina and New Zealand and Iceland and elsewhere. And uh, so it's, it's kind of a, a retrospective, uh, a life of fishing in the brown, an ode to the brown trout. Where can people find the books that are out right now, Kirk? You know, I, I love to have people check at their fly shop. I'm a big fan of fly shops and, and your local fly shop is a source of information and, and so forth. I like to support the local fly shop. If, if they don't have the book there, though, you know, it's, they're right easy to find right on Amazon or, you know, barnesandnobles.com or anywhere else. So, Last question, 30 seconds. If you could go fishing today or tomorrow, where would you go? I am going fishing today. <laughs> and I'm going back up to the lake, I think. Uh, but I'm not 100% sure, but I, I want to sneak, sneak that in before the high country storms come in and shut all that stuff down. So I'm going flat water, and, and I'm looking for dry flies. All right, my friend. Get out there, catch some fish, and when you get back, pick up those guitars and practice a little. I have to practice to keep up with you. You're sounding great, my friend. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. All right. That's Kirk Dieter. Kirk, we'll get you on again soon and find out how you did today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Kirk, Yvette, Kirk Dieter, one of our favorite authors. We're going to take a time out and we come back. We're going to talk to you about where you could go to a cooking event that's going to be in- it's going to include Dutch ovens and a chili cook-off right at one of our state parks. All that and more on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. I tell you what, if you're an outdoor enthusiast, whether you hunt, fish, you bike, you camp, you need to stop by a Jack's store. If you haven't been in one of the Jack's Outdoor Goods stores, uh, they're going to have, you're going to be so pleasantly surprised. And the people in these stores know exactly what they're talking about. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from Jackson Lake State Park is Darby Shanks. Good morning, Darby. Good morning. It's a beautiful day here. Are you enjoying that out there on the plains? Oh, we sure are. 
it's great weather going in today. So. Yeah, now you've got some events coming up, but before we get to that, for the people that might not know where Jackson Lake is and what it's about, let's tell them where it's located and kind of describe the park. Sure. Uh, we're located about, I would guess, about an hour out of the Denver area along the Interstate 76 corridor. Um, you would head out to the Wiggins exit, and we're about nine miles north of there off of Highway 39 and Highway 144. Our park offers about 251 campsites that you can reserve throughout the year. Um, but coming into this fall winter, we will be closing three of those campgrounds um, because our visitation slows down. And then we also have a big uh, lake, of course, but right now due to uh, irrigation, they have been pulling that for quite a few months. And we have been out of water for boating, for motorized boating for over a month now. So, But people are still able to come out here and, and paddleboard and canoe. There's nothing with motors. And there's plenty of swimming. But they are almost down to what we call dead pools, which really means there's still about 1,200 surface acres. So there's still a lot of water. Um, and it is, uh, there's still plenty of fishing, shoreline fishing. It has been tougher this year, um, just with the heat. Um, I just haven't heard anybody. They have been fishing. I don't know if they've been catching anything recently. Um, so, but anyways, like for the fishing, a lot of people come out here for the walleye and the sawgai and wiper. Uh, of course, we do have some channel catfish and yellow perch. Um, so, yeah, it's it's great area, lots of beach. If you want some good sand beach right now, we have plenty of that. Well, your beach is one of the most fantastic beaches that I've ever uh, I've ever heard about in a prairie state. In fact, hasn't it been kind of rated in the top ten state park beaches in the country? Yeah, it was by the reserveamerica.com a few years back. It was in the top 10. So, yeah, that was exciting news for us. And even though you're on the prairie, your camping has some areas that have a lot of trees in them. Yeah, I would say about three of the campgrounds, which is Lakeside, Cove, and Pelican, have quite a few uh, cottonwood trees. We are still removing those Russian olives. Um, trees, uh, but it's going to take quite a few years to get that all done. But then, you know, they are we are coming back in and replanting trees that will eventually take off and provide good shade and, you know, that will also benefit the wildlife in the area as well. Well, and speaking of the wildlife, wildlife watching, especially birding, is another activity that people really enjoy at the park, don't they? Yeah, and right now is a good time with the migration happening already. Um, various birds uh, coming through and sometimes we get those uh, ones that you don't get to see very often so I know there's about three weeks ago we had one that was spotted out here it was called a red knot so I, I think it has already gone on but and of course the sandhill cranes will start coming through the area too sometimes they stay and sometimes they just keep on flying by and then we have quite a different kind of uh, what I've heard is turns and uh, a lot of different kind of goals are out there right now and bigger flocks of the white, white pelicans. So, and then of course we have, we have hunting going on too. So I better put that in there. Uh, since teal, teal season is open, um, this weekend's the last of the weekend of that right now. And then of course duck season will open again in October. Um, and then of course there's still dove hunting going on. Um, so if you come out to the park, we do have limited areas, so you can always stop in the visitor center 
Or you can go online, and we do have our hunting maps up there. And then, of course, we have two wildlife areas that are adjacent to the park that has different rules and regulations as well. So one is called the Jackson Lake Wildlife Area that's located up on the northeast corner of the lake. Um, and all and all the ponds up there have been topped off with water um, from the Riverside Canal. Uh, the ones, what they call zones up there, they're along the shoreline. You probably won't have any water because with the lake being way down, it's way out there. Um, so you're going to struggle getting any birds from flying over, I would say. And then we do have two ponds on the state park side. Um, we are not filling those this year. Um, what I've been told is the Ducks Unlimited is going to be coming in and possibly doing some work on our ponds, uh, making those better ponds for the duck hunting. And then, of course, well, there's, there's the Andrick. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say there's just so much to do there. And you've got hunting. You've got everything else. We probably should get to your events before we run out of time because that's the main reason you called. You have actually two events coming up next Saturday. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah, our big one is that Dutch Oven and Chili Cook-Off. This is our 12th annual year of doing that. Uh, so, yeah, looking forward to that. Um, it's exciting for me. Um, so we have about 12 teams at least entered, and so there will be a lots of good food. And then also our other event, before I forget, is the astronomy uh, program that, uh, that we'll be having that the Northern Colorado Astronom Astronomical Group is coming out again if the weather plays nice with us and they'll bring out their uh, telescopes and they'll view the sky and show us what's all up there. I believe there's going to be three planets. And then of course you'll be able to see the Milky Way really good. Last time they were out here a few weeks ago, um, it was great skies. So it was awesome. Let's spend a couple minutes real quick on that Dutch oven cook-off and chili cook-off. You've been doing it a long time. Are there any openings to still compete or is it full? It is not full, so we are still taking entries. Um, so, yeah, out, out of this whole cook-off, there are seven food categories. One of those categories is just for youth, um, which is uh, there's rules in all this cook-off, of course, but not like strict rules. But, uh, but anyways, in the youth chef one, you know, we just make it all a dessert-only category for those basically 16 and under. Um and then all the rest of them are, anybody can participate in them. So we have the main dish, which is your meat category, a side dish, which is a vegetable. And then we have bread and then desserts. And then, of course, I like to throw in that wild game fish category because we are a state park and getting out with the natural resources. Um, and that one does have a little bit of rules because it's the wild game and fish that can be hunted or fished in the state of Colorado. So we don't right. want any shrimp or crab, you know? Um, yeah, okay. And, of course, and then we have the chili category. So, yeah, this whole event starts off at 8 a.m. for people cooking. There will also be a cowboy coffee one um, that's the People Choice Award. So if people like to drink a little coffee and then be able to watch people cook and make their dishes and ask questions, they are more than willing to do that. And then um, our judging starts at about 1230 in the afternoon um, with, I believe, the side dish off the top of my head, I think is the first one that will be judged. And then it goes about every half hour. We should be wrapping up about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And then by 4.30, 5 o'clock, we'll be doing all the announcements. And then all the tastings open to the public. And there's no cost to the public uh, to come try these dishes. 
And the only thing that, you know, people have to pay is to come into the park. If they have that annual pass, they already get entry. If And then if you don't, you just pay that $9 to come into the park. Well, what a great way to spend a day. You could come out, have cowboy coffee in the morning, wander around, learn something about cooking in a Dutch oven or making great chili, and then have a, a nice tasting at after 430 and then if you want to stick around, it doesn't take that long to get dark. And if it's good skies, you'd have that dark sky astronomy. What a way to spend a day. Is there information on all this on your website? Uh, I don't believe we've posted the astronomy one quite yet. Um, I will probably be doing that Monday or Tuesday. I get the information from my interp ranger. But the Dutch oven and chili cook-off is absolutely on the website. And if you do have questions, reach out to me at the state park. It's 970-645-2551, and my extension is 102. And I will, um, if you're interested or if you need just more information, I am more than willing to to fill you in. All right, Darby, we got to run, but what a great way to spend a day. That's 924. That's next Saturday at Jackson Lake State Park. It's an hour drive. Fill your day in the outdoors. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. We're going to take a quick time out, and then we're going to talk about another park where the leaves are turning, and it's right close by, and you can have a great time right here on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from Golden Gate Canyon State Park is Bronwyn Phillips. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Terry. How's it going? It's going. What a beautiful day. Is it beautiful up there at uh, Golden Gate Canyon, too? Yeah, absolutely. You're feeling that fall weather coming up, and it's great to be outside right now. You know, a lot of people, I think it's an under appreciated or misunderstood park by a lot of people because it is close to the metro area. I don't think they understand all it has to offer. Why don't you tell people where it's located and kind of describe the park? Yeah, I would love to. So Golden Gate Canyon State Park, like you said, it's up in the mountains. It's about 30 to 45 minutes from Denver, depending on where you're coming from. And we're kind of nestled in between Blackhawk and Netherland, right off 119 and Highway 46. Um, A lot of people don't realize that Golden Gate Canyon State Park um, is over 12,000 acres. We are the third largest state park in Colorado. And in that 12,000 acres, we have about 35 miles of trail, both multi-use for uh, mountain bikers and horseback riders. And then we also have trails that are just hiker only. Um, Also in our park, we have a little over 150 campsites, which also include backcountry sites where people can actually hike up to a campsite, you know, get that backpacking experience that some people want to try out. So they don't have to hike far into mountains. It's only a couple miles to get to those sites to experience that type of lifestyle. Um, We also have five cabins and two yurts that people can reserve to have that type of overnight stay as well. Um, And we also have a lot of uh, multi group and event facilities that people can rent out for larger groups if like weddings or picnics and things like that. Um, and then also on the park that we have that I don't think a lot of people realize is we have four ponds that are regularly stocked through the season, uh, primarily with rainbow and brown trout. And then we also offer small and big game hunting on the Jefferson County side of the park. Yeah, they're really, it's just, it's a very large area that's spread out. And I think one of the things that has always impressed me is if you just drive through the park, 
you don't feel like you're a half hour from downtown Denver. You feel like you're way up in the remote mountains because of all the trees, both the pines and the aspens and some of the others. And it just gives you a feeling of being remote, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think people realize, you know, even though we, it doesn't seem like you're close to amenities, you are not too far from Golden, Black Hawk, Netherland, but you also get that feel of being out kind of in the wilderness and you get to see, you know, wildlife like moose and bear, mountain lion. I don't think people realize how close they can get to that type of situations that some people are looking for. You know, in those ponds, years ago on one of the ponds, I actually did a television show, Ice Fishing. They stock those ponds in the fall, and then uh, a couple of them freeze over pretty early. And it's a great place to take kids ice fishing because there's, there's bathroom facilities right there. You can park right by the pond, and you can take kids out there, and they're stocked with little trout, and they're very cooperative and just have a great time. In fact, on my YouTube channel, Best Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, that's still available if people want to go look at it. It was filmed several years ago. But what a great opportunity. And while we were filming that, a, a bobcat walked by and went up the hill, and we saw some other wildlife. It's just fantastic. Um, you're going to get to a time of the year now when you're going to have another attraction, and that's the turning of the leaves. Where are we at with that? So right now we're still pretty green up here, but we know it's coming, you know, with this colder weather that we're getting, I wouldn't be surprised within the next week or so that the leaves are going to start getting that yellow color that people are looking for. Yeah, really. And just gets beautiful interspersed with those pines, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the amount of trails that we have that you get to go through Aspen Groves and kind of experience the fall colors, it's pretty beautiful and wonderful out there. Well, one of the things we want to talk about, too, I, I think the best way to appreciate Golden Gate Canyon State Park is the first time, just drive the roads through the park. You're going to be so amazed at what you'll see and the remote areas, the campgrounds, the ponds, the view of the mountains, the trees. But then come back and make a plan to go on one of those trails and really experience the wildlife and then the leaves turning. But, and then you have a great visitor center that'll help you plan those visits if you stop by. But you also want to put a message out there that we want to keep it that way, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's kind of our goal right now is to help inform and educate visitors coming into the park to see the fall colors, you know, because like I said, we're the third largest state park and historically we're one of the top five busiest parks with September and October being the busiest time of the year for us. And we want people to be able to come out here and really enjoy their time, but also help protect the natural resources we have and respect others and the park staff. So that's what we're really trying to hound home right now and go over the leave no trace principles, which is a really great back pocket resource that is always good to kind of give a refresher on. Yeah. What are some of the kinds of things that, you know, I'm not going to say people do intentionally, but maybe they don't think about that you'd really like to see them keep in mind when they're at the park. Yeah, so one of the top uh, principles for the Leave No Trace is know before you go. You know, you kind of touched up on it a little bit. Is You know, definitely stop at the visitor center and get information before you go out to a place that maybe you haven't been to forever or if you haven't been in a long time. You know, it's part of our job in the visitor center is giving that information. But also, before you come, you know, check out our website. We have a lot of great information and resources on our website 
to help you pick out a trail that you might want to go on or give you information about what all we have um, available at the park for you to do on the day that you decide to come. You know, we also have social media pages, our Instagram and Facebook page that gets updated pretty regularly with different park information that can help you make the right decision for you before you decide to come. Um, another great resource and another thing that we want to have people remind, uh, remember is to stick to the trails when you're hiking. You know, we have a great maintenance and trails team here that do a lot of really wonderful work on our trails to keep them cleaned and maintained. And we want people to utilize them properly and not make social trails off, off the main trail. Because what that ends up doing, if you make social trails, you know, it's going to damage the resources, but it also can make trails that people think might be the actual trail and people will get lost out there. So be able to stick on the main trails is a big thing that we want people to do, especially when you're seeing fall leaves or wildlife, you might feel obligated to want to get off trail and go check something else out. But we really want people to stick to the trails for that. Um, and then also with that is parking in designated parking spots. You know, with us being such a large park, you might think that we have a lot of parking lots and places for people to go. And we do have quite a bit of trailheads on park, but those can fill up pretty quickly, especially in the fall when it's busy and a lot of people are coming out here on a Saturday, Sunday morning when it's beautiful out. You know, and if you go to a trailhead and it's full, don't park on the side of the road. You know, make, make a plan B, plan C, and park somewhere else and maybe try a different trail that you didn't know existed before. Um, you know, that's one of those things we don't want people parking on the side of the road and uh, damaging those resources. All right. We are out of time, but great information. And I've been through Golden Gate Canyon State Park. I've spent time there. It's just a beautiful. Thank you so much, Bronwyn, for sharing that with us. Yeah. Thank you, Terry, for having me. All right. Great information. Great place to go, folks. Enjoy the outdoors. You don't have to be fishing and hunting or camping. Just get out and enjoy the outdoors. But speaking of fishing, we're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to take you where they've been catching a lot of fish, especially five to eight pound rainbows. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from the Lake John and the North Park area is Doug Gibb. Good morning, Doug. Hey, good morning, Terry. How are you this morning? I'm doing well, and it's beautiful here, and I'm sure it's beautiful up there. We've been talking, though, the whole show about how the fall really changes things. You know, the leaves will start turning, and the... The outdoors looks beautiful, but the animals get fired up, and boy, the fish get turned on. People, I don't think, realize how good fall fishing can be. And from what you've been posting on social media up at Lake John, Lake John may be the the highlight of what's going on with fall fishing right now. You guys have been just some incredible fish coming out. I I have to agree. I it's just been prolific the amount of fish and quality fish coming out uh, as of late. Uh, you know, after the Labor Day weekend, which was really hot, temps have gone down, uh, you know, upwards of, of about 20 degrees, and that's including the, the water temps. So that's really, really helped. And it's also helped that the uh, the water is flowing. Yeah, they're filling John right now as we speak, and we should be full, I'm guessing, in about uh, two weeks. Wow. Yeah, I know it's down just a hair, but filling it, that water flow in there refreshes the oxygen at the same time. The cool water 
you've got um, you've got browns and rainbows, and uh, but you've been the the growth rate at Lake John for those rainbows that get put in there, even the sub catchables, is so phenomenal. Before we even get into just the overall action, tell people some of the fish you've seen come out just in the last two three days. Well, I've seen uh, uh, seven and eight pounders coming out uh, consistently. And so that equates to, you know, 24, 26 inch long uh, rainbow and cupos. And then also I see all day long, you know, 20 to 22 inch, um, which is quite funny because a lot of people from the front range, they, you know, when they see a 16 inch rainbow, you know, they're in hog heaven. And uh, up here, it's kind of the average. Now, are they catching them from shore, a boat, or both? It's it's about 50-50, 55 um, You know, you're always going to have a little bit better success in a boat just because of the, weed, the weeds that are on the lake. But uh, the guys from shore are patient, and you have to be. But power bait and night crawlers is still king, and, uh, and a fly on a bubble will always work, and it, it's doing very, very well. It's just great fishing. And then I imagine the guys out in the lake are probably trolling quite a bit. They are. They are. And they're, they're using, you know, gold and red have been kind of the colors to go with uh, all summer. This time of the year, I've seen um, a lot of chartreuse, like the Panther Martins and Tasmanian Devils, that have gone out and they've had great success on that. And And I'm estimating in about... 10 days to two weeks that we'll have equilibrium in the lake, meaning we'll have an even disbursement of fish from bottom to top as the temps come down and, and equalize. So it'll be even better now, to troll. Are, are they, are they catching um, a numbers of fish too, or just a lot of big ones? Both. No, they're catching uh, quantity and quality. Wow. And uh, yeah, most people are most people are they're keeping the smaller ones to eat. They're throwing the bigger ones back, which is what we like to see. Yeah, we love to see that. Keep those genetics. Or although they don't probably reproduce, let somebody else catch it too. What about some of the other well, lakes exactly. in the area? What about some of the other lakes um, in the area? So the so Lake Cowdery has really come come back. Earlier in the summer, I heard not very good things, and now I've heard a lot better things. Where it's a consistent. A consistent, steady bite. Not huge in Calgary, you know, 16, 18, but you can do that all day long. Big Creek Lakes, which is about 35 minutes from Lake John, um, has been a bit slow this summer. Um, I've seen a lot of tiger muskie, the spillway and the dam, and lots of reports of uh, the, the trout that were being caught and Mackinac and whatnot with a lot of scarring. So, you know, there's a lot of tiger muskie up there. So for those guys that want their bucket tiger muskie list, that would be a good place to, to go. And then, of course, the, the buttes is always. Yeah, I was just going to ask about the buttes. Go ahead. Yeah, the buttes uh, are also picking up. Um, it's funny because night fishing about a week ago when the moon was full was not that great. But now uh, I had a guy come in this morning and report to me that night fishing was was uh, stellar. I mean, he said he just he stayed up all night because he just kept catching fish. Um, wow. And that was at north. And then, you know, south and east are identical um, in terms of, you know, type and success. Save the fact that at north, you're only going to really catch browns. The browns, if you want a brown, you got to go to north. If you want so the, the regular rainbow cutbow cutthroat, you, you, you go to east and south. 
it's just just a tremendous area. You know, I'll switch gears on you real quick. You have a lot of hunting up there. Have the hunters been seeing success up there? Yes, they have. I've had uh, four hunters up here that that got their elk, they got their moose, they got their bear, and they got their deer. Four separate groups. So um, the elk obviously are still way up high, but uh, if you're persistent and you, you catch a lucky break with these cold temps in the morning, you can catch elk coming down, you know, following uh, the draw down to water and whatnot. So, no, it's been it's been pretty fruit, fruitful so far, as well as the oh. waterfowl. Waterfowl was successful yeah, I- as well. That'll open pretty well. You had teal season. I, I, it opens pretty soon. I think the first of the. Uh, it opens soon. I know up there. I've got the dates written down, but not right in front of me. And North Park is one of the best areas in the state for early waterfall, especially jump shooting. So you are seeing a lot of ducks and geese, huh? Uh, yes, we are. And of course, sage grouse was last weekend, uh, Saturday and Sunday, and that was you know in and done, but. Uh, from what I heard, most hunters got there there too uh, in the first day. Why don't you describe your facility, Doug, and what you have up there at Lake John? Well, we've got a, a general store that uh, has a you know bait and tackle, full bait and tackle, and then just your your conveniences, beer and soda, and uh, all the good all the good convenient stuff. Um, we also sell some camping and RV gear to keep you going while you're on the road. And we have uh, four cabins, a suite, and a, and a fifth wheel that we rent out for lodging uh, above and beyond our 30-site RV park. And uh, do you pretty well get sold out? Do you need reservations? And how do people get a hold of you if they want to make a reservation? So the best way is to call us at 970-286-1269. And, yes, you do need to make a reservation. And right now we're about a month and a half out, which has been pretty consistent throughout the year so month and a half to two months uh and that's for the weekend during the week we can usually get you in but on the weekends it's that's the the timing that you'll need to call ahead i tell you what if this incredible fishing you're having at lake john right now carries through into the ice season uh i tell you what i've stayed in those cabins and you can it's so far from the lake you can't quite make it in a cast You'd have to walk right. down to the lake, right. but but I, summer or winter. But I've stayed there ice fishing, where I've walked out of the cabin, gone to the store, got a cup of coffee, taken a rod and auger, walked down to the lake and caught one trout after another. It's just a tremendous experience, and people need to get up there and enjoy Lake John. It's just, uh, you know, the fishing like anywhere goes on and off, but when the fishing is on there. And with the growth rates you have in that lake, what a tremendous opportunity to probably catch the trout of a lifetime for most people. Yeah, it's a kind of a bucket list kind of type lake just because they do produce that type of fish. I mean, inch and a half a month is what the biologist has explained to me that what their growth rate is. Since they can't reproduce, they put all their all their time into growing. Do you uh, have other resources that people want more information? Where can they go to find out what's going on? Um, they can go to my website, which is www.lakejohnresort.com. That's where my fishing report will be. I also have that same fishing report on my Facebook page, which is just Lake John Resort. Um, and, of course, you can text me at the number I pre- previously gave. And we have uh, email at www. I'm sorry, um, fish at lakejohnresort.com. That's fish at lakejohnresort.com.
All right, my friend, we have to run, but it sounds like things are on fire. You better get out there and well, go check in some of those fish. Yep, I got I got a boat. I got to go put out. All right. Thank right. you for joining us, All Doug. Right, thanks, Sounds Jared. phenomenal. You bet. Doug Gibb from Lake John. Lake John is on fire right now, folks. You want to go catch some fish. It's worth the drive. You Not only will you catch some numbers, the whole North Park area, but it's producing some giant, giant fish. We're going to change things up in just a minute. Nate Zielinski is going to join us, and we're going to talk a lot of hunting on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan.